Welcome along to the pitch where the stove is hot, the blue flag flies high, and my name has a Y. So today we will discuss the potential moves that the Yankees can make in the free agent market with their with Masahiro Tanaka seemingly on the way out. And we will also highlight the festive period in the English Premier League and how some teams may fare, some may fare better than others. This is episode number three of The Pitch. Let's get it. So the pitch is back, and let's play some ball. Let's get straight into the baseball section as we are back from about a week's sabbatical. I've got a microphone now, so the audio will come in crystal clear as ever, and let's get things started on episode number three of the pitch. Let's get straight into the baseball section. It is the third podcast in a row, people, that I have mentioned DJ LeMahieu re-signing for the New York Yankees. It is looking ever likely that it will happen. So that is that has been the top priority of Brian Cashman, general manager of the Yankees, and his team, but it will come at a cost. It seems that with LeMahieu signing, he is looking for five years, $100 million. It seems that, as noted by Michael Kay of the Yes Network, that it may be the last big signing the Yankees will make in this in this window. And that means if the Yankees re-sign LeMahieu, there's another man that is also on the free agent market that used to be with the Yankees that will not be getting re-signed. And his name is Masahiro Tanaka. He has been an integral part of this team, of this Yankees side, since he came over from the NPB in Japan in 2014. Up until this postseason, he had the lowest ERA of any qualified pitcher since his arrival in the league. Actually, not even since then, of all time. So it has been, as Tanaka was the staple in the Yankees rotation for a long time, but with the arrival of Garrett Cole coming into the side, it may be time for the two to part ways. And it's been a great six years. If he does, if he does leave this club, he will he will leave as a pitcher who has made who has who has become absolutely benchmark and absolutely paramount to this club's success within the past few years. They have Tanaka has had his ups and his downs, but he will be remembered as one of the better pitchers of this generation if not all time. So that means the Yankees will be down three pitchers due to free agency. J.A. Happ will be gone. uh, James Paxton will be gone. And now Masahiro Tanaka. Of course, Garrett Cole locked down for another eight years. He will be going nowhere. But that means they've got to be looking for other options. So they could be looking in the free agent market. Of course, Trevor Bauer is the is the top name. Personally, I think he will be signing with the Angels, as a few other analysts have predicted, because the Angels seem to be on an upward trend. They have been purchasing. They purchased Anthony Rendon. Um, of course, Mike Trout is the center of their of of their franchise right now. Outfielder Joe Adele has also just come up in this past season, showing his worth. They also have underrated players such as David Fletcher at second base, and the pitching has needed a lot of work for a lot of time. They tried to sign Julio Tehran from the Braves, and it's just been, it's, it has not gone the way that they would have liked it to. 
They have been missing a star name at pitcher for a very, very long time. And Bauer and the Angels, there are just some partnerships as LeMahieu and the Yankees did, had two years ago that just seem to make sense that the Angels do not have a top-of-the-line starter such as Garrett Cole, a Clayton Kershaw, a Jacob deGrom that would really put their pitching game into overdrive. And Bauer is their perfect man for that. I would personally like to see him at the Angels leading this team into what it seems is going to be a new chapter in their history if they sign him. It'll attract more players in the free agent markets in the future, and I really do hope it'll bring Mike Trout a championship in the future. So Trevor Bauer is obviously a um, a target from the from the tr free agent market. Another new target emerging would be Tomoyuki Sugano. He is also over in Japan, just like Masahiro Tanaka. He dominated the NPB. It was it is Nippon Professional Baseball in Japan, is what that is, and um. Sugano has shown absolute dominance in that league. He went 14 and two in the 2020 season. He's age, his age 30 season with an ERA below two. And of course the ERA being the widely accepted stat has it's been, it's been used less and less lately, but we are now also looking at different stats such as walks plus hits per innings pitched or whip as it is called in the business. It is, his whip is 0.88, so he is letting up less than a base runner per inning. It's an unbelievable stat. And Sugano also let up only eight home runs, 25 and 25 walks, and only 30 earned runs in 137 and a third innings pitched. He also struck out 131 batters in that span as well. So Sugano is a prime example of what Tanaka was. This could be the next coming of Masahiro Tanaka. Of course, Tanaka signed when he was much younger. He was in his, in his mid-20s when he signed. This would be Sugano's age 31 season. So he, they could sign him short-term until, until a few new pitchers and a, new, a few new bigger names get on the market. As I said, that Bauer would probably, I think Bauer would go to the Angels he would not be a good fit at the Yankees because he is deserving of a top-of-the-line number one spot, and he would not be getting that with Garrett Cole ahead of him. But Sugano is a potential target. His name has been mentioned. Of course, Masahiro Tanaka, he draws comparisons to. Also, Hiroki Kuroda. He was with the Yankees in the early, two th in the early 2010s as well. So the Yankees have had, their, have had their fair share of successful Japanese pitchers, and, um, of course, with new pitching coach Matt Blake, he can turn this young this, this man's career into an absolute overdriven success. And another name being mentioned with the Yankees is Taiwan Walker, of the formerly of the Seattle Mariners, now with the Arizona Diamondbacks. In this shortened 2020 season, he um, threw for 50 Ks, 50 strikeouts, and 19, only 19 walks in 53 and a thirds of an inning through 270 ERA. And a more important stat is an, is ERA plus, the average ERA plus, which ERA plus is a stat that is that basically normalizes. It kind of evens out the field of ERA. 
as Colorado is a destination that is not pitcher friendly due to the very high altitude. The ball flies further. So ERA plus kind of takes into account the external effects maybe of Yankee Stadium being a very short field down the lines, just about 300 feet down the lines. So Taiwan Walker threw for a 161 ERA plus, and to give you a bit of perspective of what is average, 100 is the league average in ERA plus. So he threw 61 points above average. So Taiwan Walker is a, is an interesting name because he has had his share of injury problems, but also because he is a is a relatively young thrower. He's only 28 years old, so he has the length in him. He has never been. A, a name like Felix Hernandez, never, never too, too large in stature, but he has always been a very reliable name when he was on the field. His last full season was in 2017, and he was very, and that was, I believe, when he was back with the Mariners, if I'm not mistaken. He was actually, no, that was his first year with the Diamondbacks. It was his, it was his first year with the Diamondbacks, and he. He started 28 games and threw and threw for a 135 ERA plus in that in that span through for 157 and a third innings. He let up 17 home runs and 61 earned runs in those 157 and a third innings pitched. So there are a few good options that are under the radar for the Yanks. And there is also some in the trade market as well. In the trade market, a name that has just come up is Jamison Tyone of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is, of course, known for his feel-good story that he has overcome cancer, and he is back in the MLB and pitching and pitching very, very well. In his last full season was 2018. He missed the 2019 season. He went 14-10 and 10 with a 3.20 ERA and 122 ERA+. Plus. Very good stat line. Of course, the um, of course the stat lines with with ERAs being blown up a little bit now because of how amazing hitters have frankly become. So in that 2018 season, he threw for almost 200 innings. He let up 20 home runs, walked 46, and allowed 68 earned runs and struck out 179 batters in those 191 innings. Now, the reason I don't think it is a good idea to trade for Tyone is because he is a small market pitcher in Pittsburgh. The, the market there for baseball is not, it has never been too large, and they are a team that has not been competing with, with the big boys in the National League, such as the Dodgers, such as the Cardinals, such as the Braves. They have never been near the... They've never been near the playoff scene for quite a few years now. And because of the because of the small market, is it's similar to a sunny gray type situation where back in 2017 the Yankees traded for him at the deadline and he um he never fully performed. And I think it was because he never um lived up to the spotlight that was put on him. He was he is born to be a small market pitcher, which there is nothing wrong with. I have absolutely nothing wrong with it. It is New York is a very, very tough market to play in. He is now, of course, with the Reds, Sonny Gray. He is thriving in their small market. It is becoming a bigger market in Cincinnati as well. So hopefully 
I, I wish nothing but the best for him. And it just sometimes doesn't work out for players in, in a big market such as New York. And I feared that it would be the same set, the same old story with Jamison Tyone because he has played four years of baseball. He's been, he's been in Pittsburgh all four years. He has never had a major spotlight on him. And I feel like it would have to be a type of a natural progression for Tyone to be coming to the Yankees. He would need to go to a bit of a bigger team first and then go to New York. But even so, if the Yankees did get him, he would solidify the lower side of the rotation as Cole, of course, is the is the bona fide number one starter. But without Tanaka, the only real pitchers that they've got coming back is, of course, Domingo Herman. He missed about 60-something games, which is just about this entire 2020 coronavirus-affected season due to a domestic dispute with his wife. Now, he will come back. And, of course, we have seen shades of what he can do. And, of course, Luis Severino will be coming back from his Tommy John surgery. They've got Jordan Montgomery, who, was, who started at the back end of the rotation last year. Right now, Montgomery would be, I think, the number three, two, three starter behind Cole and potentially Herman. I just don't think he's that guy to be starting towards the top of the rotation. They need a lefty down at the bottom. Something of a CC type guy. CC, not 2009 prime CC, but maybe more right before his injuries. CC, Sabathia, of course, CC Sabathia is who I am referring to. And Mont Montgomery is more of a guy who can solidify the bottom of the rotation. I don't think he fits in very well at the top. The Yankees also have Davey Garcia, who made his debut in this coronavirus shortened season, as did the younger boys, such as Michael King and Clark Schmidt, all viable options. But you would think in a run-in season such as this one, I imagine that, that this season will be played, that this upcoming season will be played in its entirety. And if, they, if the Yankees want to be challenging for the World Series or winning the World Series, second-year players such as, such as Schmidt and King, who are really on the fringe, would probably go in the bullpen, maybe bulk or open the game become a bulker or an opener. But Davey Garcia has been the staple of the Yankees pitching of the Yankees pitching rotation in the in the minors for quite some time now. And they want him to be at the center of their future pitching wise, which is why he should be included in the in the rotation. But Tyone would probably be a middle way, a number three starter. And I just don't think with the Yankees, with the Yankees quality that and especially with their pull towards higher quality pitchers, I just don't think that the Yankees need Tyone and that they should go after a little bit bigger names of pitchers. Of course, I think Tanaka should be should be re-signed, but if, but if LeMahieu is priority, which I agree with, and worse does come to worse, that, that Tanaka does need to be let go, they should be aiming for for more middle-of-the-way rotation pitchers because they have the bottom of the rotation set and they have the they have the top of the rotation set. I just think they need to bolster their depth in their pitching a little bit more, account for potential injuries with with some um with some experience in their in their rotation. And like I said, if not 
for the free agent or the trade market, the Yankees do have those younger guys such as King, such as Schmidt. Sevy will be back. Herman will be back. So that is a pretty solid five-man rotation when all is said and done and everybody is healthy. But you don't know how Herman is going to do. Sevy will not be coming back right away because of his Tommy John recovery. So I think the need for the need for for trading is a little bit more necessary than it was if Tanaka was able to stay put. So that is our baseball section of the pitch today. Let's switch the play. Let's cross it and let's cross the field and switch the play and get into some soccer. Play has been switched and it is time for soccer on the pitch. And that means it is when we look outside, it is way darker. And that means when it gets darker, it comes close to December 21st. And around that time is the festive period in English soccer. The festive period consists of a few holidays of Christmas, of Boxing Day in England, which is December 26th, and December 27th, also known as Michael with a Y's birthday, a little bit of a lesser known holiday around the world. And of course, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day too. And those, this is a time of year where there is a congestion in fixtures in the English Premier League. And it really is a time that separates the men from the boys, the pretenders from the contenders. There are 38 games in the Premier League season. And right as we get to around New Year's, we will be at the 18-game mark, 18-game mark, and 19-game mark. Excuse me. They play 38. I can do math, folks. We will be around the 19-game mark come New Year's, just a few days after. 19 is the midway point of the season. So right now we have a top four, top five shaping up. It is Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool level at the top with Leicester City sitting one point below those two in third. A surprise Southampton side sit in fourth place with it just one point behind Leicester. My beloved Chelsea FC sit in fifth place just below Southampton. And outside of the European spots sit West Ham, Everton, and Manchester United all level on 20 points. Manchester City sits just below their crosstown rivals on 19. Aston Villa sits below them on 18. So the, the tests for European spots are getting very, very hot. And it is around this time in the festive period. As I said, the boys get separated from the men. Chelsea FC have continued to do it. They have been keeping up their hot form. They beat Leeds two weekends ago, 3-1. It was probably, I, in my opinion, their best performance of the year because Marcelo Bielsa leads a very tough lead side. But just recently, they lost to Everton 1-0, only their second loss of the season ending an unbeaten run of about 10 or 11 games. Of course, manager Frank Lampard spoke, speaking to the media afterwards says it's it's going to end one way or another. It was a, uh, a Gilfie Sigurdsson penalty kick. The Iceland International dispatched one down the middle to give Everton a 1-0 win. Spurs and Liverpool play each other, a top-of-the-table clash on Wednesday, Chelsea play Wolves. Wolverhampton Wanderers are also a tough matchup. They always have been, though they do lack up front as their star striker, Mexican international Raul Jimenez, is still recovering from a nasty fracture skull, skull, excuse me, fractured skull that came against that came a few weeks ago. 
So their number one striker will not be in so far. And since that game, their results have reflected that. It came in a 2-1 win against Arsenal, did the fracture for Jimenez. So it is at the top from first to fifth. It is all attainable right now. Spurs, Liverpool, Leicester, Southampton, and Chelsea all sit in the top five. As Southampton is, a, is an interesting team thus far this season. They have thus far into December shown that they have, they have not played pretenders just yet though their, um, their squad depth will be in question going into the festive period. I, sh- I, do, I should note that with the, um, with the delayed start of the, of the season due to the pandemic, it is a little bit less congested this month as, as it is um, compared to normal months. But Southampton from this Wednesday, including this Wednesday, will play one, two, three, four matches in the span of just over of just over 10 days they play four matches in two weeks and then on the second day of 2021 travel to the leaders liverpool they have a very up and down schedule in that time they play arsenal this coming wednesday then to manchester city they host manchester city at home then they will travel to west london to play fulham and then stay then go back home to host east londoners west ham and then on January 2nd, they play host to Liverpool. So this will be the time, as mentioned, is Southampton a contender or a pretender? They still are being led by their top scorer, um, England international Danny Ings. He has been at the forefront of Southampton's success since last season. And their manager, Ralph Hassenhuddle, also a huge part, integral part of their success. Of course, Hassenhuddle has led a Red Bull Leipzig side to to German success, finishing a few spots below um, Bayern Munich. In just a little bit under four or five years, they have become a top-level German team. Could he be doing the same, the German, with Southampton? It'll be intriguing to watch them over this break. Now, a few managers have been, as we're talking about the title race, a few managers have been pointing fingers at each other to put some pressure on each other as to who is the favorite, who is not the favorite. It is Chelsea FC being given the favorite card by Jurgen Klopp of Liverpool. Liverpool sit three points above Chelsea coming into their matchup with Spurs on Wednesday. And um, and Jose Mourinho, the ever-controversial now Spurs manager, has given Liverpool the title favorite tag despite their injury-plagued season. They have still soldiered on. Only one loss on the season so far. It was a hard-fought draw against Fulham that that could have seen it gone the other way, and them only come away with and they could they could have came away without any points if not for a Mo Salah penalty on the 80-minute mark. So it is an intriguing look as a Chelsea fan. I still don't think we have given any real sign that we are favorites just yet. And that is just, it's, the the team is coming together very nicely. This is not, by the way, this is not because they lost to Everton over the weekend. Everton are a very strong side. Of course, they started out stronger in the early going, but have fallen back to earth with a bump a little bit as of late. But I just don't think that Chelsea have the quality just yet, especially in that final third, to be matching up with Spurs and Liverpool. Harry Kane and Hingman San, two of the top 
um, goal contributors in the league. Kane has assisted on, I think, I believe, eight goals of Higman Sons this season alone. And Son is in double digits. Of course, Harry Kane is a perennial goal-scoring threat. He is now becoming an, an assisting threat as well. And, of course, Liverpool with the likes of Sadio Mane, of Mo Salah, of Roberto Firmino, of the now-injured um, Diogo Jota. When their team is healthy, you can't, you can't help but make them favorites either. I've been watching in matches, I've been watching Timo Werner. And Timo, he is a very interesting acquisition. He can run the pitch in the blink of an eye. But just watching his finishing, he looks timid and he doesn't look very convincing in, in his finishing in that he'll be in a very promising situation. And for $50 million at least, you would, you would expect a man of his, his price tag to dispatch an easy shot from inside six yards on the jog. He's had so many chances to go up and to go up and pounce on a few goals, but he has not found it just yet. And it could be something that he just needs that slight boost of confidence. You saw it in the Newcastle match a few weeks ago where he was there and he had his chances and he just didn't take them, but it is his, um, he just drives to get more really. And he assisted Tammy Abraham's goal, the second goal that really put the Newcastle game away. So he he's very he's a determined player, but it is it is him who epitomizes really why Chelsea aren't title favorites just yet. And that's just because they lack they lack the real gusto that Spurs and Liverpool have. They at times look lethargic, they look unsure as to what they want to do. They maybe take one to, one pass too many. They don't get a shot off in time. So I don't, so for those reasons, Chelsea are definitely still in the fight, but it is going to take a few more step-up performances from some guys that they maybe wouldn't expect, or maybe they would. I think Olivier Giroud being put in the lineup has been a great idea by, by Frank Lampard as he has allowed Timo Werner to stay out on the left and Giroud is, it seemed until the Everton match that he was scoring in every game he appeared in. So it was a fair shout to give Giroud, especially if they want to keep him at the club. I think as he is just an absolutely one of the more integral figures in this club, a lot more integral than people even realize because he can come off the bench and just and score every time. But but Chelsea do, but Chelsea's Chelsea's uh, festive period running. Will will also tell whether or not they are ready to stay the course. They take on Wolves on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. And if they do win, it'll put them level with Spurs and Liverpool. They also take on West Ham, who on the twenty first, which is which is an which is a tougher match than they'd like to think. Plus, West Ham have definitely gotten the better of them as of late. Then on Boxing Day, they take on Arsenal, a side who have been a bit dipping in form as of late, but of course take nothing for granted. Then they take on Aston Villa, another no-gimme at Stamford Bridge, and they take on Manchester City on January 2nd. They are staying at home. They're, they're staying in London for all four of those, for all four of the matches after this one against Wolves. Oh, goodness me. Sorry about that. That's a timer of mine that I had set. To, um, to end the segment, but we're going a little bit over it. So the 
So after Chelsea travels to the Midlands of of Wolverhampton Wanderers, they will go. They will host West Ham, Villa, and City, and then go to the Emirates to face Arsenal. Absolutely no gimmies in that schedule. So again, it is about it is about really the the consistency that this side puts in. But now I wouldn't be surprised as I as I say that Chelsea aren't favorites right now. I do think that if they if they get the results, they will emerge as title favorites because of their depth. Depth is Chelsea's strong suit this season. I have a I have a visual. I'm gonna pull it up right now on my phone that I posted this on my Twitter as well. Hit my Twitter up. Uh, it is at Michael with a Y. That is a capital Y. My Twitter handle is at Michael with a Y, the Y being a capital. I've got it saved in my Instagram that Chelsea have an entire two teams. That is, that's one of those, those 2017, 2018 Real Madrid styled, styled teams where, where you could put on an entire B team and still get your results. So in this, in this one right here is this is what it looks like. As you can see, it's got, it's got Werner, Abraham, Tammy Abraham, and Hakeem Ziyech listed as the front three. Of course, left to right, Abraham being the striker. Pulisic, Giroud, and Hudson-Odoi start behind them. Then Kai Havertz, um, Golo Kante, and Mason Mount in the midfield followed. And the B team of them would be Mateo Kovacic, Billy Gilmore, and Jorginho, respectively. And then Chilwell, Zuma, Thiago Silva, and Reese James from left to right across the back being put in by Alonzo, Tomori, Christensen, and Azpilicueta. And of course, they have three keepers in Edward Mendy, Kepa, and Willy Caballero. So if Chelsea do get their grades, excuse me, if Chelsea do get their results, it will be because of their depth. And I think that, that some teams do not have the depth. Manchester City has the depth. Chelsea has the depth. I don't know if Southampton does, and I'm not sure many people know if Southampton has the depth. But now they bolstered, Chelsea bolstered themselves in their in the transfer window, as of course that transfer ban that they had proved to be a blessing in disguise. So now that they can that the fact that they can field out an entire B team, I think does put them in a bit of a better position than most. So they're playing two games. They're going to be playing two games. They're going to be playing two games in as many days. They're playing on Boxing Day, which is December 26th, against Arsenal. They're skipping the game. They're skipping December 27th, which is Michael with a wise birthday, the most important holiday. And then they play December 28th against Aston Villa. That is not even. That is one of the quicker turnarounds I've ever seen. And then they play. And then they play uh, Manchester City the following Saturday. So they have two Saturday games with a Monday game sandwiched in between the 26th and January 2nd. So if anything, Chelsea gets the edge right now because of their squad depth. As I mentioned, they can field out an entire second team where, where the likes of Southampton, you, you just don't know because you haven't seen, you just haven't seen what they have from their bench. If their bench players can step up, Southampton will be um, a, a fun team to watch, but Chelsea especially. It's going to be fun to see how manager Frank Lampard mixes in different players, combines a few players, and it's going to be very apparent during this 
festive period time to see. It's going to be very apparent who is going to be a part of the first team, a part of the second team, and who is going to be a part of Frank Lampard's plans going forward. So it is going to be the festive period. I will be. I will have all the coverage here on the pitch. I will bring you results. I will bring you reactions, especially from the Chelsea matches. They play Wolves tomorrow. I will preview Wolves, and depending on when the next one comes out, I may um, give my thoughts on the West Ham match as well. So that is soccer on the pitch. We have very little time for today's hot take, but I will give it to you anyway. Let's go over to the hot take right now. It is that time again. It is time for today's hot take on the pitch. And I think this one may be a little bit hotter to some than it is to others. Today's hot take, I've mentioned his name on a prior podcast. Going back to the NFL, it is the topic of Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson is the NFL MVP. Now, if you look at the stats, you think, huh, well, he's got 36 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. That seems a little much, especially compared to another fellow uh, MVP candidate in Aaron Rodgers, who has thrown for three more touchdowns and eight less interceptions. He has 39 touchdowns to four interceptions. You may think, well, Michael, with a why, why would you call Russell Wilson the MVP? Here is why. I think, especially in Russell Wilson's case, that losing, when the Seahawks lose, that shows that he is more the MVP than anybody else. Because Russell Wilson, as I mentioned in my first podcast episode, has led the Seahawks single-handedly away from being what the Cowboys used to be. When he wins, he can distribute the ball to DK Metcalf, to Tyler Lockett, to David Moore, I believe his name is, to Will Disley. Well, especially, of course, throwing it to DK. He is the prototypical receiver. But then when he can't throw it, when he has an off day, which every quarterback does, it seems like Aaron Rodgers' off day is more a one-interception game, and it still is a competition, whereas Russ could have a fumble lost, multiple interceptions. But there isn't much happening other than him. There's no run game. Chris Carson is out every other week. He's week to week. He's out. He plays every third game. Then they got to go to Carlos Hyde, who can't produce consistently. Then they got to go into the practice squad. And none of the practice squad guys have been producing. So then you look to the defense, who leads the league in average points allowed per game. They're averaging 30 points allowed per game. And then it comes to the New York Jets. Any old defense can stop them. But it, it speaks to what Russell Wilson is to this franchise that when they lose, it just shows the gulf that that Russell Wilson has put between him and the rest of the squad and the rest of the units on this team. With Rodgers, he's, he's got Aaron Jones. He was out maybe a few weeks, but the, whenever the guy is in, which is more often than he isn't in, he just churns out yards, 100 yards constantly. So, And he has a weapon, of course, Devontae Adams, a top five guy, as is DK Metcalf for Russell Wilson. But there's different sides to this game that the Packers play. 
Matt LaFleur is working a wonderful, wonderful, well-rounded team in Green Bay with Rodgers. Rodgers is already one of the all-time greats, in my opinion, can throw a ball as far as I've ever seen. And yes, that does include Patrick Mahomes, who I don't even think should be, he's, he's just not the topic of the conversation. When I think, just a quick side note about Mahomes, when we think of NFL quarterbacks over, especially now over the past three seasons, Mahomes is, is head and shoulders, in my opinion, above everybody else. I just, he isn't the topic of the discussion here. And I still think Russell Wilson is MVP, even with Mahomes in discussion. This is more in comparison to Rodgers than it is to, to Mahomes because Mahomes is running a 10 and one team. The chiefs are the most well-rounded team in the league. They've got, they've got their deep running back squad. They've got, they've got Tyreek Hill. They've got Travis Kelsey. I personally don't think that offense is even fair, but back to the subject at hand, Rogers has Devonte Adams MVS Marquez Valdez Scantling making a little of a name for himself this season. Alan Lazard also there on the depth chart. Rogers, when there's nothing happening, and which usually is not a which is a rare occurrence that Aaron Rodgers has an off day. And as we said, an off day for him is still throwing for 200 yards, maybe not a touchdown. He has Aaron Jones, he has Jamal Williams. And he has his defense and his special teams there to back him up. Wilson, however, does not. Wilson has absolutely no defense behind him. His defense gives up 10 more points than the team that averages the least points allowed per game, which I actually don't remember off the top of my head. There is, there is not a consistent running back option. Oh, goodness. Had a screen pop up there. Sorry about that. There's not a viable running back option because Chris Carson doesn't know how to stay healthy. And without and he's got DK, of course, but when DK has when Wilson has a bad game, so does DK. And just because of how amazing DK is, they want to put the spotlight on him like it's his fault. Because that guy, you don't ever see that guy drop a pass. So when the Seahawks lose and Wilson has a bad day, he can't really say it, it's very harsh of me to say that the blame is on him. But he's really the guy that's making it work because finding Metcalf for multiple touchdowns a game, it's not like they're running end around. It's not like they're running these crazy plays. Wilson's throwing the ball. Wilson's got it in his hand, and he he's taken on the responsibility. And I have a feeling there's a little bit of knowledge in somebody's head in that Seahawks franchise, whether it be Carroll or whether it be the front office, that Wilson is really the one that's really carried this franchise to where they're at right now. And if they go up against a good team, if they go up against the Packers, of course, the, the playoffs, I don't think, determine the MVP race. But if it did, if Aaron Rodgers balled out in one game and Russell Wilson didn't and the Packers just beat up on the Seahawks, it wouldn't be as big of a deal because there's no defense there. But if the defense of the Packers stopped Wilson, it, it, it shows why he's so important because when one guy isn't working, then the rest of the team doesn't. Seahawks are going to let up 24 points guaranteed unless they're playing the New York Jets like they did this week. But look at what happened. Wilson threw for how many touchdowns? It was, a th I think, a 40 to 3, either 37 to 3 or 40 to 3. Can't remember off the top of my head. But when Russell Wilson, when the Seahawks lose a football game, it is mainly because 
Russell Wilson is having a, an, an off day. It's not fair to say it's a bad day, but he has an off day. Metcalf doesn't produce. Lockett doesn't produce. The defense is never behind him. So it just shows that he is much more valuable to this team. If it was the, the, the best performer award in this league, it would it would it would be I think it'd be between of course well Mahomes is just absolute Showtime TV. It'd probably be between Mahomes and Rogers for me because Rogers just plays consistent football every week. Good decisions, season pro. Not that Wilson isn't. Wilson just carries more value to this team because of how because of what happens when he's off his game. Nobody else seems to step up. So I still think that Russell Wilson is the MVP of the NFL because he has soldiered this Seahawks team towards playoff contention. And without an elite player like him, seasoned pro in the league, the Seahawks would be absolutely nowhere near where they're at right now. So that is my hot take. Russell Wilson, NFL MVP. Hopefully that'll stir up some conversation at the family dinner tables. Well, And that is all from me, your boy, Michael Kirsting. That is Michael with a Y. Thank you very much for tuning in for episode number three of The Pitch. We will be on episode number four next week, highlighting the Chelsea results and much, much more. Thank you so much for tuning, tuning in. Your boy, Michael with a Y, saying goodnight from New York.